If you would, take a Bible, either the one in front of you or the one you brought, and turn to the book of John in John chapter 16. If you are looking at those Bibles in front of you, you'll find this passage on page 902. 902. We're returning after a brief break at Christmas Day to celebrate the birth of Jesus. We're returning to this regular study we've been in in these few chapters in John. And we'll continue looking at this. Our plan, my plan, Lord willing, is to keep going all the way through the end of 17. And then uh, we're going to move and shift and we're going to do a series, if the Lord allow us to, through the book of Acts next. So we're going to keep being here until John 17, the end of it, and then shift over. So Christmas was last Sunday. And I'm curious to know what was the best Christmas gift that you got. What was the best Christmas gift you got? Think about it. Which gift did you enjoy the most? Was it a gift you enjoyed because you thought it would be fun? Was it a gift you thought it would be useful to you for the rest of the year? I tend to appreciate gifts that will be useful. That is a sign of my age. Good gifts aren't always useful. I don't mean that. They're not, it's not always the point to try to find the gift that will be most useful, but I do appreciate them. A gift that I'll use over and over again throughout the year. Did you get any useful gifts this year? In our passage this morning, Jesus tells his disciples that he will be sending them a gift. A gift after he leaves them. And the gift... Is his Holy Spirit. He doesn't use the exact language of gifting, as we'll see, but as we look into this text, we'll see just how much of a gift it is that Jesus sends his Spirit to us. This gift is a perfect gift, it is an extremely useful gift. It is exactly the gift that we need as Jesus' followers to live faithfully in this world. Now, what do I mean by faithful lives in this world? Well, I do aim to let Jesus define what he means by that. But I basically mean to be faithful is to be true to being who Jesus wants us to be and living how Jesus wants us to live in this world. Being faithful is being true to who Jesus wants us to be, and living how Jesus wants us to live in the world. And in each of these areas, we will see that Jesus has given his spirit to be our help and our guide. It's New Year's Day. Oh, by the way, Happy New Year's. Looking forward to 2023 with all of you. As we look forward, let's pray regularly that we will be a faithful church. Being who God wants us to be, living the lives he wants us to live. We want to follow Jesus in that way individually. We want to do that together. We want to see Jesus exalted in us and through us. So, it's encouraging to see here that Jesus has given us all we need for that faithful life. That's going to be the main idea we see in our passage this morning. In John 16, the second half of verse 4 down through verse 15. The main idea that I think we can see is that Jesus gives the Spirit 
to help us faithfully witness and faithfully walk. Jesus gives the Spirit to help us faithfully witness and faithfully walk. We're going to look at that in three parts. First, Jesus gives us the Spirit. Second, the Spirit helps us faithfully witness. Third, the Spirit helps us faithfully walk. So let's start with that first observation from this passage. Jesus gives us the Spirit. And we see that in the first three verses here. Look at verse 4. I'm going to start reading there. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Jesus has been telling his disciples over and over in different ways. He's going away soon. And up to this point, the disciples have tried to figure out if there's any way they can do what Jesus says they can't. That is, go with him when and where he goes. Peter, Thomas, Philip, they all ask him questions about that back in chapter 13 and 14. But then, in between that and now, in this conversation, however long it goes on, it may have been several hours in between different parts of this, but between then and now, Jesus has also told them something else, something we looked at two weeks ago. He's told them that his departure will mean that they will experience the hatred and persecution of the world, the same that had been aimed exclusively at him up until this point. And after Jesus tells them this... The disciples stop asking where Jesus is going. And it seems as if they become overwhelmed with the sorrow about what it means for them now. That they're going to be living this life without Jesus. And I assume the disciples felt a mixture of fear and uncertainty over Jesus' departure. After all, if the world was going to get as hostile as Jesus said it would... They no longer had Jesus to walk with them to protect them. If he leaves, how is it exactly that they're going to be able to do what he said they're going to be able to go go and do, which is be his witnesses? And up until this point, Jesus had always had guidance for the disciples to know what to do. Because Jesus always knew what to do. But without Jesus... The future becomes a fearful place, especially in a world that hates them. What the disciples don't yet understand is Jesus' plan to work through them now. To transfer his authority, his witness, his presence in the world to them. He's leaving them, but leaving them with himself This is what Jesus will begin unpacking for them in the rest of chapter 16. So it's not only about sorrow, but there is a a path and a purpose Jesus has for them that will lead to their joy. It's easy to romanticize about how much better it would be for us if we had lived in a different time than right now. People do that all the time. We do that as Christians. We think about how much better it would have been to be one of Jesus' disciples. Because we could have seen him. We could have watched him work. 
How much stronger would our faith have been? Our resolve to obey him. If we heard these words directly from his mouth. I think we can also think negatively about the time we're in. We can think about how bad it is to live right now. At a time when it seems like the world is getting less and less God interested. As the storm clouds grow on the cultural horizon, we worry for our safety traveling on the Christian boat. I think one thing I would encourage us to see, I hope we'll see this morning, is that even though we don't have Jesus physically with us now, we are similar to the disciples in the sense that we're living in the age that he is describing his disciples will soon be living in. There isn't any difference in that way. Theirs will be an age of persecution, an age of hatred, hostility toward Jesus and his people. We live in that age. It's been going on for 2,000 years. And what I, want you, what I want you also to hear is that compared to the disciples before Jesus leaves, Jesus says to us that it's better for us now than if he had stayed then. Look at verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And that's a verse we can think about for a long time. I would encourage you to think about how it could be that that would be true. That Jesus wouldn't be physically with you, and yet because he's left his spirit, that's to your advantage as a Christian. You could explore that a lot, maybe even this afternoon or this week. Knowing the hardship the disciples were going to face, how could Jesus say such a thing? Well, I think it's because Jesus' value system is operating at a level that goes beyond visible realities. If being safe and comfortable in this life was best, there's no way Jesus could have said this. But if there are productive reasons why he has you and me go through hardship and hostility, then even our trials can be to our ultimate advantage. And I think that's exactly what Jesus has in his mind. Since he started telling people why he, why he had come to earth, Jesus has re- repeatedly been stressing, he has come not to set up a physical kingdom, but a spiritual one. He announced that his kingdom would bring down such rules as sin and death and the enemies of God, visible or invisible. In a few hours, he's going to complete that mission. He is going to go on a cross, die to pay the penalty for sin. In a few days, the new kingdom rule will emerge as Jesus emerges victorious over death and resurrection. So though they don't see it yet, The glorious age unfolding ahead of the disciples is the age of Christ's kingdom expanding. There will be loads of resistance. Jesus assures them of that. But his rule will keep growing. How? Because Jesus will give his spirit to build his church. And his church will carry his message until Jesus comes again. This phase of God's overall plan for history that Jesus was breaking open to the disciples will require one absolute essential gift that Jesus will give. 
His Spirit. The third person of the Trinity. Father, Son, Spirit. So you could say, in a way, we live in the Spirit age. It was essential for our eternal salvation that Jesus would come and live and die and rise and ascend. It's essential for your salvation if you are living outside of God this morning. It is essential for our progress and the advance of Christ's kingdom to more and more of the outreaches of the world and more and more hearts that don't yet know him that Jesus would leave and send his spirit. So for now, in this age... The gift he gave is much to our advantage. So to his people living in an age, that's us, that will be fraught with danger and trial. Jesus gives the perfect gift. This gift is for God's people at all times, not just for the disciples in John 16. We're often going to feel the loss of sorrow that comes with living in this world and apart from Jesus. And yet because of this gift. We have reason to be joyful because of what Jesus gives today through his spirit. As Jesus says, he gives his spirit to be our help, our guide in this world. What we were reflecting on earlier in those songs and the readings. He gives a shepherd. Until Jesus returns, the gift of the spirit means that we can remain faithful. This is the second and third big part of this passage. Jesus gives his spirit. That was the first thing we observed. But for a reason. To help us faithfully witness and walk in this world. So look at that second major emphasis we see. The spirit helps us faithfully witness to or about Jesus. I'm going to start reading in verse 8. And when he comes, he, that's speaking about the spirit, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. All right, he's just been saying that the gift of the spirit will be to the disciples' advantage. And we would think maybe for ours as well, rightfully. But then you read these, and you, at first take, you're like, how, how, how is this to our advantage? It seems the only people or, or parties in view here are the spirit and the world. Jesus says when he sends a spirit, he will convict the world about their stance against Jesus. The word convict is a kind of personal interaction where... You're made aware and convinced of your guilt and called to repentance. Something the Spirit is actively pursuing in people's hearts and in this world. Spirit's conviction will work in such a way that it makes us aware, if we're outside of God, of three main things. The Spirit will convict to make the world aware of its own sin, of its righteousness... And it's judgment. There's a lot of different thoughts about what Jesus means by convicting the world. But I think as I read this and thought about it and asked the Lord for help, I think, I think what Jesus is trying to, what Jesus is communicating here is that the, the world stands in a certain way. It stands in sin. 
It has a particular understanding of its righteousness, and it has a certain understanding of its judgment, how it, how it thinks about what's good and evil. And the Spirit is going to enter each of those categories and bring a, a correction, an understanding to a person that the way they've thought about their sin, their righteousness, and their judgment has been off and now can be corrected through the light of the Spirit's work. It's sin, particularly in that it, the world doesn't believe in Jesus as the Son of God and Savior for sinners. It's righteousness in a way that reveals that it really isn't a righteousness. That the world depends on good works to make it right before God, but that is not enough to meet God's standard. It's judgment showing that the world's judgment is, when revealed in front of God's truth, folly. Uh, led by deception. Built on Satan's lies. A judgment house built on the shaking sand of untruth. And the basis of this conviction that the Spirit will give, how is it that he will do that? Well, it will be clear after Jesus does what he's about to do. He's about to die to demonstrate that sin deserves death. That that is the guilt that hangs over us. He's about to offer his perfect life to be the righteousness required before God's holy law. And he's about to overpower and conquer God's enemy, Satan, and expose Satan's lies and deceptions that had misled so many. The work needed for people to come to salvation through the Spirit's conviction is what Christ is about to do. And the witness who brings us to the point of conviction, leading to us trusting in Christ and being forgiven of our sin, well, that work is the Spirit's. The Spirit is the one who comes and pulls back the curtain. He's the one who removes the shroud of darkness that hold people enslaved to lies. The Spirit is the one who arrests the attention of the self-dependent and convinces them in their hearts that they need to be saved even from themselves. But what does this have to do with the disciples or us? Well, the way the Spirit brings this conviction to the world is through our witness. Our witness to Jesus. In John 15, 26 through 27, just before this, he has already said, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you've been with me from the beginning. Jesus said the Spirit would come to witness, and the disciples will be the human agent for that witness. Look again at chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. To you. So take that to you and take it into verse 8. And when he comes to you, he will convict the world. I think we can understand through you concerning sin, judgment, and righteousness. Jesus intends for his enemies to hear the message of Jesus from us. And our call to believe in him comes from us, 
Jesus intends for our lives to so reflect the righteousness of Christ and our love for him and love for his people and obedience to his laws. So that even though Jesus is no longer here embodying all that, people will witness that in our active living. Through our joyful hope in Jesus Christ, through any opposition or trial, Jesus intends to show that there is no other true life but the one that he gives to his people that we live. And this is how Christ's kingdom advances. He sends out witnesses. They speak of him and his gospel. And the spirit takes the message and prepares hearts to receive it by repentance and faith. So as a church that wants to be faithful, how can we take this truth to heart so that it affects our witness of Jesus to this world? Well, two main ways, just as we think a little bit more about how to apply the fact that the Spirit helps us faithfully witness Jesus. I think there are two things here for us to take this truth to heart. First, recognize that witnessing to the world about Jesus is why we're here. It's a big part of why we're here. Jesus has left us here for a purpose. He's given us his perfect gift, the Spirit, for a purpose. There is a priority in this for our lives. The Spirit is right now active with one main goal in mind. He wants to make Jesus known in this world. That is why he's working in us and through us as a church. It's one of the big parts of of how it is that, that, that he's come to live in us for that aim. So that the love of Jesus will change us and that, that Jesus will love others through us. Ever since Jesus left, he's entrusted that exclusively to us. To the church. In a way, he left knowing that he would put us as the stand-ins, as his representation on earth. There are few things, few, that occupy such a high priority in the life of Jesus' people as witnessing about Jesus in this world. And so it, it tells us how it is that we can be useful to our master and our king as we live here. The kind of convicting work the Spirit does tells us the kind of witness we want to have to be useful in this kingdom-advancing purpose. It won't help people if we're working at cross-purposes with the Spirit's aim to convict. So we want to be clear with people about the important things they need to consider. So we're talking to people about Jesus and their relationship to, to God. We want to make sure they understand that sin separates them from a holy God. That, that our good works cannot save us. That it is eternally dangerous to not trust in Christ alone for forgiveness. These are truths we put before them. And then we pray for the Spirit to bring conviction and change. If you happen to be here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, I do aim for that information from Jesus through me and his word to you to be useful to you. To help you understand that in the reality that that God is in, you have a relationship with him that's broken that needs to be fixed. And Christ needed to die to bring you to God, to restore that. That your sin was such that it, it left you out here Condemned to die, but Christ came to die in your place. 
He rose to defeat sin on your behalf. I intend that to be very useful for you, not just for a good life this week, but for your eternal life. If you want to talk about that more, I'd be happy to later. Another way our witness this week can be helped by this truth is by remembering that the outcome of our witness is the Spirit's responsibility. We pray for the Spirit to work because we can't create conviction in somebody else's heart. Have you ever tried to do that? Spouses. I'm sure in some ways you've wished that in the glaring error of your uh, beloved wife or husband would somehow be made very clear to them. And then they would come to you and ask for forgiveness and say they would change their ways. You kind of wish you could manufacture that to make life better and easier in unity or whatever. We've wished that we could make leaders be convicted about their injustices that they perpetrate. Or nations come to their knees in repentance over how they've misused and mistreated God's people made in his image. We've wished that we could make it, but every time, if you've ever tried, we know we can't create conviction in someone else. And I think that's why we're fearful to witness to Jesus. If we knew people in their hearts would agree with what we're saying about their need to repent, their righteousness is filthy rags, their folly, then we would probably share a lot more. But we can't know if that's how they respond or if they'll hate and harm us instead. None of us can truly convince another person that they need to repent of their sins and trust in Christ to the point where they will. We do not have that in our power to do. And thankfully, that was never our job to begin with. Jesus wants us to speak the truth about Jesus, live the truth of Jesus, exhibit in our lives the wisdom of following Jesus. He wants us in all those ways to be faithful witnesses. Jesus sends the Spirit to do what we cannot. That is to bring a person to an end of themselves. Bring a person to the cross of Jesus Christ and recognize that that is their salvation and their hope. This leaves us in a good place. An advantageous place, you might say. A place where we are dependent on God to work through our witness. It can be hard to remain bold in the face of constant criticism for your trust in Christ. It can be hard to be persistent in that when your family rejects you. It can be hard to keep talking about Jesus. And, be, and it can be hard to face the discouragement when you see no change in the people you're talking to. Jesus is fully aware that he has put us in a position as witnesses. And in that, to regularly come up against our limits. As in all things in the Christian life, faithfulness to Jesus is tightly linked to dependence on Jesus. And it's no different in our witness. So when it comes to being faithful witnesses, the best things we, thing we can do is to make ourselves available for Jesus to use us. It's the best thing we can do. Everything else, he will give. The message, he gives. The strength, he gives. The work that brings conviction... That leads to change, he gives. 
So because the Spirit is working with such power, then there is always good reason to be, remain hopeful in our witness to Christ. Even if you are discouraged, even if you are weary, even if you see nothing but rejection and, and ridicule. It's good to remain hopeful because coupled with the spiritual, Spirit's conviction, that is the way that people will truly come to repentance and salvation. The Spirit is like a piercing arrow that flies into the heart with the gospel message and penetrates even the deepest part. So would you regularly pray in 2023 that the Lord would help us to be faithful witnesses? Faithful witnesses and trust in his spirit to work. Jesus left his spirit and he left his spirit with us to help us be faithful witness. In the rest of our time, there's one other thing he left his spirit for us for. And we see that in the third observation. It's this, the spirit helps us faithfully walk. The spirit helps us faithfully walk. Look at verse 12 through 15. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Man, what a comforting verse at the end. Another thing that maybe will help you this week to think about. Maybe a verse that you want to spend a little time on where Jesus says, all that the Father has is mine and transfers that in his truth through his spirit to you. What a security and comfort to know that all that is at our hands through the work of Christ and the spirit. I think as you, as you enter into verse 12... And what he's already been talking about, recognizing the disciples' sorrow. It seems like Jesus realizes or knows all along that his disciples are about at a breaking point. They've heard so much from Jesus and they just cannot hold any more. Jesus still has things to tell them, things to teach them. But he doesn't force it in this conversation. He knows there's going to be time for that. There's going to be a place for that. There's going to be a spirit for that. When he leaves, he's going to send his spirit who will become Jesus' mouthpiece to them. Sometimes when Jesus talks to his disciples, I think we should read the words and hear them rightly coming directly to us. As if there's like no barrier. Like when he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He's speaking right to you. In as much as he's speaking to his disciples. But sometimes... There are kind of unique time and place considerations we have to make in order to understand that Jesus was first and foremost talking to his disciples and then to us. And I think this paragraph is one of those places. I think that what Jesus says the Spirit will do here is what will lead to the writing of the New Testament. The Gospels, the Book of Acts, the letters, all the rest. The apostles were given a very unique role in church history. To receive inspiration directly from the Holy Spirit and to write down what we now have, what we're reading this morning. As 2 Peter 1 verse 21 says, the apostles were men speaking from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
What we have in the scriptures is what God has breathed out and inspired designated people in history to write down for our benefit. So when Jesus said these words to his disciples, it wasn't yet clear what all remained for them to understand. But then Jesus dies. Jesus rises. Jesus ascends to heaven. Jesus sends his spirit and guides the apostles into all this truth and what it means and what it will mean for the church coming forward, speaking to them what he had heard from the risen Jesus, declaring to them what was happening and going to happen in the period of time following Jesus' departure. For the apostles, the word would be given through the Spirit. For us, the word has been given through the Spirit. So in a a way, we are very distinct from them. We are not in that position. I want you to hear me clearly. We're not receiving fresh revelation from, from, this, from the Holy Spirit that is somehow universally applicable to all people at all times. So it makes a big difference on how we receive Jesus' words. We don't assume the Spirit will speak and reveal additional things to us that will carry the universal weight and authority of what, he's, what he has already re- revealed here. Instead, we look now back to this. This book as containing what the Spirit has already revealed to all his people for all the truth we need for all our life with him. However, our difference from the apostles in this way does not fundamentally change how we depend on the word and the Spirit to lead us. We depend on him just like the apostles did. It's still the Spirit that guides us. And the Spirit still leads us according to the truth contained in God's word. When the Spirit came at Pentecost and demonstrated powerful miracles, his aim was to draw people's attention to Jesus Christ, the crucified Savior, the resurrected King, that all people should follow. And that is exactly the same aim the Spirit still has when the word is opened and the word is read. To draw people's attention to Jesus. And when Jesus promises that the Spirit will guide the disciples into all the truth, that sounds appealing to me, I don't know about you, to have someone who would guide you in all the things you don't know that you need to know. I, uh, over a little bit before Christmas break, I went to visit my family and my, my brother's car broke down. And it was a pipe. And so the allure of YouTube just sucked me in that I could somehow fix his problem so he wouldn't have to go to a mechanic. And YouTube tells us that there is a guide for anything you could find, which in part was true. So I found someone who had diagnosed the problem, showed how to fix it. I go to the auto parts store. The auto parts guy says... I don't know what you need, but this looks like the right part. I say, yeah, it looks like the right part. Order the part, take it back to my brother's car, take everything apart and go to try to pull a piece out. And I just realized the thing is stuck and I can't get my hand up in there. There are parts all around it. I just no way that I can act on what I knew should be what was the right way to fix this problem. I realized at the outset when I went to get that part and came back, I thought I knew all there was to know. But in the end, I didn't. And the car had to go to a mechanic. It's also really inviting to know that there is someone out there who is a master at what they do. 
my in-laws gifted us with the gift of uh, the master class. I don't know if you've seen this, but it's, it's a series of teaching from people who are experts at what they do. So you can learn from masters of gardening, masters of screenwriting, masters of barbecue, you name it, it's probably out there. And you can take these video classes from people who know what they're talking about. And you can learn from them. And you know, like, man, that person's been there. Uh, there's a lot I don't know about this subject. But I know that when I'm listening to them, I know I'm learning what there is to know about this subject. It's hard to realize sometimes you don't know there's all, all there is to know. But it's also very inviting to come to a person who does and who can teach you. Jesus teaches the master class on truth. He offers it to anybody through his spirit. What a gift. What a gift Jesus gave by leaving his spirit to lead his disciples to leave us the word of God. What we have in the Bible is the direct communication from creator God, the father to the son given through the spirit to all people. There is truth spoken to us in the Bible that has as its solid basis the the eternal and unchanging nature of God. Jesus, knowing how vulnerable and how limited we, we are, how much we don't know and how much we wouldn't know without him, he left us all we needed to know to know him. And what it is he's doing on our world. He didn't leave us in darkness. He took it on himself to come and be the full revelation of God's truth. So that we can live in the certain confidence that it is he who is guiding us. Even if many other things remain unclear to us. If the spirit is working through our witness to make Jesus' words known to the world. He is equally concerned to make those words known to you as you seek to follow him. Jesus has a word priority for his people. Jesus is not interested in leading us according to worldly wisdom. He isn't interested in guiding us to understand all possible philosophies that are out there. He has a very singular aim for where he is taking us. He's taking us into all his truth. A trajectory of our life that goes one way, where we come to know him more and more, that he is, most, is what is most real and true. And he leads us with words, not with movies. He leads us by his spirit, not by the nature. He leads us as he applies things to our hearts, not as he primarily communicates to us through our feelings. Our faithful walk in this life is linked to our continued connection and submission to God's word. Without the word, we won't hear God speak. Without the word, we will not have access to truth. Without the word, we have no assurance that the spirit of truth is actively leading us to Jesus. So for 2023, Warnell Road, the word of Jesus is Jesus's priority for us. The word is the spirit's priority for how he wants to work in us. The word must be continued as our priority as a church. I'm so thankful that as we close out 2022, he's enabled that. He's enabled that to be our priority. We stand under his word. 
May he be so gracious in 2023. He's he's upheld the authority of of his word over our lives and our church, not just last year, for many, many years. May it keep being the case by his grace. According to Jesus, you don't need to be confused about which way he's leading you and guiding you. The Spirit always leads, according to God's word, in a way that glorifies Jesus. So if you're looking for guidance in your life, that's really helpful for you. Many times we're wondering what we should do. We're wondering what should honor God, what would honor God. Well, if we truly want Jesus to lead us, if we genuinely want the Spirit to help us know what good way our Father has for us, that guidance is available to us. So if you're in doubt right now, if you're worried about something, if temptation is really knocking or fear is gripping you, Here are two questions you can ask in the face of that. What does God say? And what would exalt Jesus? What does God say to me? And what would exalt Jesus for me to do? Those two questions will always lead us to trust Christ and lead us away from temptation. Those two questions will always lead us to rest in Christ's promises and away from fear. Even as you, as you interact with, as we interact with each other, you're often going to be asked by brothers and sisters, what should I do? Maybe you could be a great help to them to remember those two questions. What does God say? What would exalt Jesus? All this makes our reading of the Bible a big part of our life with God, doesn't it? We can come to these pages, friends, this week, tomorrow morning, later today, right now. We can come to them with a legitimate expectation that the living God has words and instruction that are meant to shape and reshape the course of our lives. They're meant to influence the decisions we make, the character we take on, the habits we have. Jesus and his spirit place such a priority on the word for our ability to faithfully walk in the truth. You can see how dangerous it would be if we departed from that. What if we got away from the word? As a church or as an individual, perhaps perhaps you're finding the bad effects of that. Maybe your life has been mired in a kind of specific sin struggle. Or you've noticed there's a season of coldness to the truth. Maybe our habits have become regularly choosing to watch a TV show or scroll our social media instead of read a chapter of the Bible when given the chance. Maybe you've made a foolish decision or choice based on your desires exclusively. And God's direction was sort of muted, and now you're realizing the hard consequences of that. Friends, our our lives tend to go the direction of our guides. Our desires guide us, we give to them. Our culture guides us, we forget God. Our opinions guide us, we make bad decisions. There's only one sure guide. It's the Spirit of God using the Word of God to lead us to truth. Our Bibles need to be opened. Our eyes need to be opened in front of them. Our hearts need to be opened to the Spirit guiding us through His Word. Church, this next year is a year wide open to let the Spirit lead us in the truth. A year for us to be open to the Word individually and together, to pray for Him, to give us direction, to lead us where He wants us to go. The circumstances of this year, however, 
are completely unknown to us. What is going to happen in your life and the specifics, I do not know. But Jesus' direction is clear and his goal is clear. The one leading is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. Jesus knows exactly where he's taking us. He is always communicating his direction to us through his word and his spirit. So this gift Jesus left us is the perfect gift. The spirit and the word are all we need for faithful witness to Jesus, a faithful walk with Jesus. What is left is for us to be willing to follow. May he help us even in that, to follow his spirit where he leads. Let's pray. Lord, may it be that as your word has been opened this morning and we trust your spirit at work, we pray that you would exalt Jesus through it, glorify him, and spirit do what what we cannot. Take your truth and put it deep in our hearts and may it change us. Help us to prioritize your truth above all things, your witness in our lives. Lord, help us to be not fearful or anxious or doubting in the face of the opposition we know we will, we will come up against if we're going to be faithful. Lord, instead, help us to keep a, a steady eye and a clear understanding and belief that Jesus is with us through his spirit. And he will be our witness. He will help us to witness Jesus, and he will work to glorify the name of Jesus. We pray you would do that in us. Pray that the word would remain our standard and banner. We pray that the spirit would give us clear direction of how to be faithful to you, Jesus, until you come back. We ask in his name. Amen.